1 Kings chapter number 20. 1 Kings chapter 20. And uh, as you're turning there and coming to that place in Scripture, if you'd stand with us tonight for the reading of God's Word, 1 Kings 20. And we're going to read here starting at verse number 23. And uh, we're going to look at a couple of specific verses here. And we're believing the Lord to help us tonight. Amen. I believe uh, a word the Lord has challenged, wants to challenge us with this evening. And uh, speak to us. Amen. 1 Kings 20 and starting at verse 23. If you're there with me, won't you say amen. The Bible says, and the servants... Of the king of Syria said unto him, Their gods are gods of the hills, therefore they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain, or in other words, the valley, and surely we shall be stronger than they. Let's look at verse 25. And number thee an army like the army that thou hast lost. Now this is advice that's been given to the king who had lost Benadad. And they tell him, number thee an army like the army that thou hast lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot, And we will fight against them in the plain. And surely we shall be stronger than they. And he hearkened unto their voice and did so. Let's look at verse 28. Verse 28. And there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord. And I just remind, can I pause there and tell you, when God clears his throat and begins to speak, just know everything's going to be all right. Amen. Everything's going to be all right. Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, the Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. And they pitched one over against the other seven days. And so it was that in the seventh day the battle was joined, and the children of Israel slew of the Syrians a hundred thousand footmen in one day. You know how they was able to do that? Because it started with, thus saith the Lord. And because not only is he the God of the mountain, but he's also God in the valley. Amen. If I can for a few moments tonight, I just want to preach on the vantage point. Amen. There is a vantage point that God has. Can we pray together one more time? Father, I thank you tonight for your faithfulness, for your presence, Lord, that has been so rich and real in this house today. 
I thank you for every heart represented, and I'm thankful for your word. And Lord, as we break the bread of life together, I pray, Lord, that it is placed very carefully into our hearts for understanding. Lord, open our ears to hear. Father, I pray tonight that you would hide me behind the cross of Calvary. Lord, I pray that we see you, that we hear you. And Lord, I pray you'd meet us in these altars and let your word accomplish what it's set forth to do tonight. We know it will not return void, and we thank you for that. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated this evening. Want you to understand that uh, just for some, some great reading, I encourage you to go back and read through this chapter because there is uh, uh, quite a story here that is unfolding. As Benadad had sent word and had approached the king of Israel in order to make some demands, to make some requests, And as a result, we find as to where the counselors of the king, they tell him, said, you do not give in to what is being asked of you. Said, as a matter of fact, we ought to set ourselves up against this enemy and we ought to go to fight against him. We find that in the early part of this chapter that it is the Lord who gives the commission and the command that they are to go out and to fight. The king is asking and says, well, who does this? Who calls all this together? Who's going to make this happen? And God says, you are. You're going to make this happen. And he gives instruction and says, I want you to call the sons together, the princes together. And they numbered those princes. And the Bible says that there were 232 who had come together. And they had went out and they had met this army and they had destroyed them. They had annihilated this army. And as a result, we find that Benadad goes back and he is licking his wounds. He is in a place of defeat and despair. And and honestly, he just cannot even fathom that this small multitude of Israelites have defeated them. And we find, as a matter of fact, the man of God begins to give warning to Israel. And he says, in about the time of a year, he said that king is going to come back again. That enemy is going to come back again and he is going to look to destroy you again. As a matter of fact, before the first battle had began to transpire, when the king of Israel had said, we're not going to concede to your demands, he had said, then he said, I'm going to make sure, and I'm going to paraphrase here, he said, I'm going to make sure that you are pound down to dust and I'm going to shake the dust of you off the bottom of my shoes. He said, that's what we're going to do to you. Amen. This king, Benadad, he was full of arrogance. As a matter of fact, we come to find that here in the midst of battle and in the midst of war, he is with his. There were 32 kings that came together and they were going to embark to destroy Israel. And we find that you can read in the verses prior that they had even got themselves involved in a drunken stupor. They were in 
in the tents together and they were eating and drinking and, and they were drunk and uh, they were already if you will brother Gary uh, at this time in their confidence and arrogance they were celebrating a win that hadn't yet come they had thought surely we are going to go in and destroy we are going to go in we're bigger we're badder we're tougher we're going to do this and we're going to show them uh, exactly who's boss if you will as we look at this I want you to understand that uh, we find here within the pages of this particular chapter or the or the verses within this particular chapter amen as God gives clear command as to what is going to transpire and what he is going to do we find that uh, as we look at this I want to say that there are some there are some very real similarities in regards to what we see in this passage of scripture and even within ourselves of what we will experience I want you to understand some things about the enemy tonight I want you to know is that as a result of his desire to destroy of his desire amen to defeat God's people of his desire to uh, to completely suffocate and annihilate amen the word that I shared a little bit this morning was to assassinate amen God's purposes and plans in our lives I want you to understand that there is an enemy of hell that is very arrogant that has reached a point in place that he thinks more of himself than all than what he ought to do. And I say that because we come to find in Ezekiel, where Ezekiel the prophet is speaking of uh, Lucifer as he is kicked and cast out of heaven. We find, Brother Christian, that Lucifer there in heaven, he began with that arrogance and rebellion. Brother Torbert, he had lifted himself up and he said, I will be like God. I will be like him as he was there and the, the leader of worship in heaven. He had got things misconstrued as the as all of heaven was worshiping God. He had looked around and said I'm responsible for this. I'm the one who is creating this atmosphere. Their allegiances should be to me. And we find that in his rebellion and arrogance that he had thought himself to be like God and we see and know that God had kicked him and a third of those angels out of heaven. Amen. Because of the fact we come to see and recognize that God, he will not tolerate nor share his glory with anyone. And might I say anything. Amen. We see and know that God says, Brother Christian, I am God and God all by myself. I'm a God. I am the God of heaven and earth. Oh, the word of God tells us that he is an eternal one. Oh, he is the first and the last, the alpha, the omega, everything that was and is and is to come. That's who he is. And can I say tonight, friends, that's exactly who we belong to. That's exactly who we serve. But please understand, his that it does not matter that we belong to God. It does not matter that we attend Victory Temple. It does not matter our spiritual pay.
pedigrees, her resumes. I want to tell you there is a real devil and there is a real hell and he has plans for you and he has plans for me. Just as God has purposes, Brother Eddie, for our lives, I can assure you if we were to look in the corridors of hell, there's some pictures, Brother Roderick, of the Blewett family. There's some pictures of the Smith family. There's some pictures, Sister T, of the Torbert family. Come on here. As a matter of fact, I believe it was Sister Torbert in one of their posts that had kind of got something stirring in my heart. And she said, this is an attempt on life by hell itself. This is a threat, an assassination attempt on life by hell. And I'm saying all that to say this. Your family nor mine are exempt for the enemy peering over and taking a look and say, I'm going to make a mockery out of you. I'm going to make sure I beat you down to nothing so that I'll shake the dust of who you were off of my feet. Can I say tonight, there is a devil that even though he knows that God is a victor, he is moved by arrogance and pride. But I wanted to let somebody know tonight that we are serving a Savior that has the vantage point in every battle that we face, in every fire that we're in, in every war that is waged against us. Oh, I'm reminded, and this isn't in this passage, but I'm reminded as to where the man of God would get ear from heaven itself and we begin to lay out the plans and the tactics of the enemy and he'd tell it to the king. And the enemy would come in and get ready to catch him by surprise. And Brother Torbert, they'd be surprised as they was already in position. The king, the enemy got so irate. He said, I, I've, got a, I've got a double agent in the camp. Come on here. I got somebody who's, who's divulging my plans and is telling them what's going on. Oh, but what that enemy wasn't aware of is that there was the Spirit of God who was speaking to the man of God. Because let me say tonight, you might be taken by surprise. You might have been sucker punched. You might have not known what was coming. But there's a God in heaven who sees exactly and knows exactly where you are. He's known exactly what is coming. And he wants you to know tonight is that heaven's not caught by surprise. God's not wringing his hands. Oh, but tonight, heaven is in position. And God stands ready to move on behalf of his children. Oh, that arrogant enemy. I want you to notice, notice a couple of things. Because... He is such a liar and such a fabricator. Do you know what a good liar is? It's a man that believes his own lie. <laughs> and Brother Roderick, he's been lying so long, he believes his own lie. Come on here. It's dangerous. It's a dangerous person to deal with who believes their own lie. And the enemy, he believes his lie. The Bible said, 
I want you to listen to this. The arrogance of the enemy. In 1 Kings 20 verses 2 and 3. This is earlier in the chapter. That king had sent messengers to Ahab. King of Israel into the city. Listen to this. And he said unto him. Thus saith Ben-Hadad. Now, now some of you might be a little slow to catch. Because in the text I read where it said. Thus saith the Lord. But first it started, oh, Benadad, marching out there and said, you go and tell them this is what I said, right? I, get, I got tickled. I won't tell you which, whose kid it was in the church. All the parents right now holding their breath. He's talking about mine. Just resolve to the fact I'm talking about y'all's, right? Talking about our kids. And some, I heard out, outside my door, I hear a lot of interesting conversations. Even though that door's clo- closed, I'm in there. I hear what's going on. And those kids a lot of times are out there because they're like vultures waiting to get into Brother Jacob's mints and candies that's in there. And I'll hear little knocks on the door. Can I have a mint? Yes, you can have a mint. Come on in. But anyway, I, hear, I heard a conversation and I heard one child tell another child. They said, your mama said to do such and such and this and that. <laughs> Them there's fighting words, just let me tell you. Because little sister didn't want to, she didn't want to hear what that other friend had to say. She didn't care if that was a messenger sent by way of mama. And she said, well, I ain't got to do it unless I hear from mom myself. Now, they weren't talking to the parents. (laughs) But Brother Pickens, she's giving her friend a what for. I don't care what they said. Amen. I know how do I know to believe you? But listen to this. This is what Benadad had done. He sent his messengers out. And I believe he picked the ugliest dudes in the bunch. He picked the biggest, ugliest looking fellas. I, you know, one of them got their eyeball poked out, and one of them got their ear cut off, and one of them missing a finger or two. I mean, they've been in the battle. So we're gonna send the meanest bunch, and you go down there and you tell Ahab this. You go tell Ahab this is what I want and I want you to listen to the arrogance of the enemy he says here in verses 2 and 3 he said thus saith Ben Hadad thy silver and thy gold is mine listen and it gets better thy wives also and I'm not just going to stop at your wives he said I want your children you hear what I'm saying tonight He said, even the goodliest, even the best of what you got, he said, it's mine. Mm -hmm. I want to tell the church right now, you better listen to pastor tonight. Because that devil in all of his arrogance, he stands in the doorway of your life. And he says, this is what I've got to say. And this is what I want. I want your stuff. I want your treasures. I want your faith. I want your, I want your husbands and your wives. I want your children. He said, I want the very best of what you have. And he is, Sister Kelly, doing his best. Sister Music to lay claim to something that does not belong to him anyway. And he will send his... his 
his demons and devils. He'll get the biggest, baddest, ugliest ones. He'll send rebellion to the house. He'll send jealousy and envy. He'll send bitterness and backbiting. He'll send all these things and show up. And they'll say, this is what hell wants. And you better give it. And if you don't, this is what's going to happen. And we've got the church running and hiding in corners and diving in foxholes and saying, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Can I tell you, it doesn't matter what hell says. It don't belong to him. It isn't his. He didn't pay the price. He didn't shed his blood. But there's a Savior that has redeemed us and bought us. And we belong to him. Oh. I want to remind somebody tonight that some things that you might feel have been lost, friends, has more so it has been taken with your permission. Somewhere we've cowered. Somewhere we've thrown up our hands. I don't know what to do about it. I don't know how to handle it. I don't know about this. I don't know about that. And we have... Like what Nehemiah saw of that beloved city. That wall was broken down and that enemy traipsed in and out of that wall. Can I tell you at times is it scary? Absolutely. At times does his lie and intimidation tactics seem so real and tangible and believable and you're looking at something and you say I don't know how what do I do if I don't surrender if I don't give this up and I'll be honest with you if you read the passage of the scripture that's where Ahab was he was a, a little bit of a yellow belly he was a little bit of a didn't have a backbone a little bit of a limp wristed and he said well maybe we ought to just give it to him maybe Maybe we ought to just, can I say this? There are some of us, we have given over and we have given over and we have compromised and we have compromised. But I want to tell you, that devil has a bloodlust. He might, you might think, well, if I just give him a little bit, he will hush up and leave me alone. No, Brother Torbert, he'll show back up the next day and he'll want more. He'll want a bigger piece and he will devour until we are destroyed. I wish to God there would be a church one more time that would say, devil, you cannot have my stuff, my family, my faith, my hope, my call. It belongs to Christ. Why? Why do we sit and resign to the fact Because the truth is, is that we're looking at it through our perspective and lens. Let me tell you something. In a lot of these cases, we don't have the vantage point. We're looking at something on a horizontal plane. But God is high and holy and lifted up. And what is what is needs to be recognized about his position, Brother Willie, is from his position of being above all. Come on here. The Bible said heaven is his throne. And the earth his footstool. I had two people today said, Brother Jacob, you got a big old foot. The white accentuates the length. That's right. 
That's a 13, Brother Roger. <laughs> Somebody told me, said, Pastor, if you was in a blizzard, you got built-in snowshoes. <coughs> That's all right. It takes a good foundation to hold all this up. I'm just telling you. <clears throat> but said, heaven is his throne. Earth is his footstool. Our Father, who is where? Who art? Can I tell you something? The Lord's not just sitting up there. Oh, isn't this heaven? It is. I created it. It's wonderful. He's not up. Uh uh. You know why? He is up high. What did the old song say? He sits high, but he looks low, and he guides my feet wherever I go. Why? Because he has the vantage point. He sits high. And Sister T, he looks to the very end of your life, and he knows every place, and he sees where the enemy is going to come, and he hears the demands of hell. And so, where thus saith Benadad was, the Lord says, <clears throat> I'm going to have the say-so in this. Thank God Ahab had some godly counselors. Because they said, do not give in to his demands. Do not yield. Do not give one thing. Do not do this. And he said, well, what are, we, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to fight. And he said, well, how am I, how's this all going to happen? And, and God speaks and says, you're going to commission this army. And this is what we're going to do. Can I pause right here and tell somebody? There has to be a point. Some of us, you're leaning on the pastor to fight your battle. You're leaning on mama to fight your battle. You wanting daddy to get in the prayer closet for you. You wanting somebody, you wanting sister so-and-so. If I just get sister Sylvia to take it to God for me, I know we'll be all right. If I just call up uh, brother Gary, I know, I know we'll be If I just get a hold of brother John, I know we, we, it, it'll just be okay. No, listen, thank God for people who pray. Thank God. I thank God we can link up. I'm glad I can call my sister and say, I've got a need. Would you help me pray? But there are some things, Sister Brandy, where God says, this ain't Brother Pickens fighting your battle, and this ain't Sister Fitzwater, and it ain't Bambi, and it ain't Brother Roderick. They good folks, they good people. He said, but you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to stand. Paul later said, and having done all to stand, stand. Church, I want to tell you, somewhere along the way, we done bought into the lie that we can't do it, that we can't fight it, that we can't stand. But Tobin, it's just said it's a lie. By Christ, through Christ, in Christ, we can stand, we can fight, we can do all all things through him. Through him. He said, you are going to get them together. This is what you're going to do. And so, Benadad brings his army down. And Israel defeats them. They go back. Benadad and the 32 kings are beside themselves. How in the world... 
did 232 beat all of the militant power that we were bringing in? It's because it doesn't matter what Satan says. When God says, and he has the vantage point. And so we find that they had beat them and whipped them in the mountains, in the hills. And so therefore, we find as well for the arrogance of the enemy. Not only does he make a demand, but when he is defeated, he shows back up. We preached a few weeks back, I preached on this subject. It's not your last fight. Because a man of God told Ahab, he said, a year from now, he's going to be back. You hear me? He is going to be back. Can I tell somebody tonight, you get down in the dumps and you get discouraged. You come in here on a Sunday and you get some victory. You get some feel good in your soul. You say, boy, we got this licked. I'm marching out of here, Brother Eli. And I mean this week, I'm going to be a living, breathing revival. I mean, it's just going to be all those things. But what a lot of folks forget is that enemy, he will show back up. Oh, he's a glutton for punishment because he thinks, well, the first time you were lucky, the first time it was just happenstance. So he will show back up. The Bible said, mark this time, mark yourself. I want to tell you, friend, I want to tell you, mom and dad, I want to tell you, saint of God, there's going to be another battle. He will show back up. And listen, he comes with more with him. His counselor said this, said, horse for horse and chariot for chariot, said, you assemble that army together. Have you experienced, have you been there, Brother Chad, when it seems we can have those moments of victory? We know, boy, the enemy has been defeated, and then the next time, there's a different sound. There's a different feel. Why? Because remember, Brother Christian, he's playing for keeps. And so not only did he expand, not only did Ben-Hadad expand his army, but his counselor said this. Listen to this. This is the arrogance of the enemy. He said, they're gods, small g-o-d-s, plural. He referred to the God of Israel as gods. They said, their gods are the gods of the hills, the mountains. That's why we lost. That's why we were defeated. Come on here. Can I tell somebody in this house, some of you know very well about the time you catch your breath on one thing. You feel the hot breath of the enemy on your neck and he tells you, he says, you only got a partial victory. And he said, it's only because God stepped in, but he can only step in that situation. He delivered your kids this time, but wait till you see what I'm going to do to your kids next time. Oh, I know, I know you had victory. You broke loose of that addiction. Oh, I know, I know they came to church. I know they went to the altar. But you just wait. That was a fluke. That was just a, that was just a little blip on the mark. He said, he said, God might have done a little something for you then, but he ain't going to, he can't take care of what I'm going to do to you next. And we've got a lot of folks that are living in a state of fear. 
Because there's always the thought of what is around the corner. What is next? I made it through this. I got bumps and bruises, but we came out on the other side. But what is next? Because there's the enemy who says horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Listen, a hundred thousand footmen. And this is what that arrogant enemy said. He said, oh, they're just gods of the hills, but let's get them down where we're at. Let's get them down where we're strong. We got home court advantage in the plain. We got home court advantage in the valley. The valley of the shadow of death. The valley, that's where we wreak havoc. Havoc. The valley is where we take them out. Oh, those saints always talking about the mountain. Those saints always talking about what God does on the mountain but let me get them down to a place let life get them down to a place where I can see them in the eye no surprise attacks ain't nothing going to happen and as there was there and in their planning we find that God by way of a man of God shows up to Ahab and he said this is what they've said he said but thus saith the Lord he said I'm going to show them I'm not only the God of the mountain but I am the God of the valley I'm not only the God that made the mountain but I'm the same God that made the valley he's a lily of the valley he is a rose of Sharon I want to let somebody know tonight it does not matter what advantage the enemy thinks that he has Christ has the vantage point. The vantage point. He's there. They meet him there in that valley. And the word of God says to us here in these scriptures. It says, I made a note here. It says, having been destroyed and humiliated in battle the year before. Benadad was determined to regroup, strategize, and reclaim what he had lost. We find, and I made mention of this this morning, you see his statement about the fact that their gods, plural, their gods are the gods of the mountains. I told you this morning that the enemy will first look to assassinate God's character first. Before he comes after you. You may have. Endured sister Haley. The attack that came to you personally. So he says well she survived that. But what is she going to do. When I can cause her to question everything about him. What are they going to do. When I can cause them to question. His faithfulness. His power. His grace. And let's not sit around and pretend that none of us have ever been there before. Because all of us have been in those places to say, God, where are you? Where have you went? What have I done? Are you still working on my behalf? What's going on in that moment? The enemy is attacking the character of Christ. Because Sister Carmody says, if I can get... Can Get them to believe that he is defeated. My job is easy. They are defeated. 
And so as this transpires and as he looks to, as he looks to uh, demean and to diminish the power of God. We find as, as this is that when we take, we take this to heart. And when he can destroy and try to destroy God's purposes and plans for our lives. If he can get you to believe that. Then he has gained a tremendous foothold in defeating us. But although the enemy is arrogant. And although he looks to assassinate God's character and sovereignty. I want to let you know that God has given assurance of victory to his children. As he had declared, thus saith the Lord, because they have said, the Syrians have said, that he's only the God of the hills, but not God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand. And listen, he didn't say so that the Syrians know that I'm the Lord. He said, so that you know that I am the Lord. Have you ever... Defended somebody's character? Has somebody ever come to you before and said something mean, hateful, or ornery about somebody you loved? And you about ready to go to fisticuffs with them, right? Because that's somebody you love. I don't want to hear you talk about them that way. Matter of fact, there would be a whole lot of gossip squished. If God's people would just treat one another in such a way. I say, ah, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I've learned you can hush somebody up real quick. Say, really, that happened? Let's go talk to them about it. Oh, oh, no, no. Uh Uh-uh. No. Sister Shannon said that? Are you sure? Let's go ask her about that. What? Oh, what? You don't want to now? Come on here. You mean to give somebody the benefit of the doubt? It's a novel idea. It's a novel idea. There'd be a whole lot less church drama, church, church upheavals and imploding if we would just operate in such a way. But God said this. He said, they have insulted me. They think I'm just one dimensional. They think that I can only operate on one level. But I'm getting ready to show them I can do whatever it takes. I often love the term that God is ambidextrous. He's not just powerful with the right hand. He's just as equally powerful on the left. He's not just God of the mountain. He's the God in the valley. He's not just God on a Sunday morning when His glory's in the tabernacle. Oh, but Sister Carmen, when it's a Thursday night and all of hell is screaming in our ear, He's God then too. He's not just God when He raised a sick person out of the hospital bed. He's God when they're hooked to life support as well. He's not just God when there's money in the bank. He's also God when I'm down to my last bag of beans I want to let somebody know you ought to be careful you ought to not hold it to say he don't care he's not able because that's hell talking through you that's hell talking to you but we ought to be a people that say Sister Mary I'm going to hold fast to his character to his heart to his promise even when it doesn't feel that way. 
He said he got offended. And God can get offended. Well, that does not sound spiritual, Brother Jacob. Let me just tell you what God said. He said, I'm jealous. That's what he told him. He said, I'm a jealous God. I don't share my glory. I ain't going to put up with it. I'm jealous. I want you to love me with all that you have, not bits and pieces. If I'm going to be God in one place of your life, I better be God in all of it. Hear me. He said, I'm offended that they would think that about me. And so, therefore, I'm going to teach them a lesson. He said, I want you to go. And he said, you meet him in the plain. He said, we ain't going to do it on the valley. We're going to get right down there where they think they got home court advantage. You see, there are some of us, the devil's got you believing. He's got you in a spot, got you painted in a corner. That's what Pharaoh thought, Sister Janie. He's, he's on his way riding his chariot. He said, oh. he said, look where they're camping. Look at that. I mean, they're dumber than a box of rocks. Moses led them down there. Boy, there's some leader. He's led them to their death. Will Israel even believe that? At least we got graves in Egypt. Let's just turn around and go back, please. Yeah, let us eat garlic and onion the rest of our lives and make bricks. At least we can be buried over there. Yeah. Come on. That's right. Yeah, it was the first assembly of the wilderness is who it was. <laughs> Moses, he was a pastor. Some look at Moses, he was, just, he, was just, he was Pastor Moses. You listen to those folks. He was a pastor. He was a pastor. And they're there, and I mean, Pharaoh's having a hate day. He said, Sister Linda, he said, look at that. God led him right there. You can read. I'm paraphrasing. He said, he said their own God trapped them in the wilderness. He thought he was the cat getting the mouse. What he didn't plan on was that he was the God that not only led him out of Egypt, but he was a God that parts Red Seas. He was a God that was going to lead him across dry ground. He was a God who was going to make a way. And Pharaoh didn't know it, but he was running a hundred and nothing down to his own death and demise. Because God has never put his people in a place. I want you to hear me. That enemy said, get him in the plane. Get them down here. If I can get Amber Menard right there in her life, Amber ain't no help for you. You. Ain't no help for you in God. That's what David said his enemy said to him. There's no help for him in God. What they do, Brother Roderick, they had him in the valley. They had him in the plain and said, you ain't getting out of here. There ain't no help for you. How are you going to overcome it? How are you going to get out of it? And God says, you just wait and see what I'm going to do. You just wait and see. I'm not just God up there. I'm God down here. I'm the God going to make a way. And not for your enemies to know, but for you to know and to remember. I was reminded there was another valley and there was another mountain. The enemy in his arrogance thought that he had all of humanity. This is Palm Sunday. The Bible says that they brought that cult to Jesus. 
that colt that had never been ridden on before. He sat on that colt, and he began to make his way into the city. They laid out palm branches. They took off their robes, and they laid them out, and they began to cry and say, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. But I want you, early this morning, the Lord dealt with me, and I'm not a Bible scholar like Brother Roderick and Brother Torbert and some of these others, Brother Corey and, and some of these other guys who, they got, they got the, the smarts, they got more smarts than me. They probably noticed this a long time ago. And maybe it was because God was dealing with me about this message and you know how God does. I think it was Brother Clinton and he said he woke up and God put, done put a new verse in the Bible. Amen. It wasn't that it was a new verse, it's because it just was alive, it spoke to him. It was revelation in the moment. And I, I want you to listen to this. In Luke 19 35 through 37 and they brought him to Jesus and they cast their garments upon the colt and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went they spread their clothes in the way. Listen to this. And when he was come nigh even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives he was coming nigh to the descent from the Mount of Olives, which is where the Garden of Gethsemane sat. It was the place where first the enemy would be defeated. Hello? Check your church doctrine. Well, I thought that all happened at Calvary. There never would have been a Calvary if he wouldn't have won first in the Garden. He never would have went to Calvary if he did not get to the point, Sister Sylvia, to say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Let me tell you something. Hell took a blow in the garden before it ever got to Calvary. You hear me? That's where Jesus, I can see him, Brother Danny, riding on that colt. And Brother Gary, the Bible says, as he began to make his descent from the Mount Olives, I see him look over there. Can you see it with me? His eyes peer into the garden. And in a spirit, he knows that where the first battle is going to be won right there where I will surrender it all where I will give it all to the Father and he, where was he going Brother Roderick he was going into that valley descent means he was coming from the mountain and he was going down to the valley why because back in first Kings he said I'm the God of the valley and I'm the God of the mountain Brother Corey he came out of that valley and don't go Good Friday, he walked up another hill. He walked up another mountain. And he was positioned on Mount Calvary. He was placed and hung between two thieves. It is a testimony. He's a God of the valley. And he's a God of the mountain. Oh. There's not one place from mountaintop to valley that his power, his arm, his might cannot reach. From that mountain called Calvary, many scholars believe that Calvary was the place of Mount Moriah, which is where Abraham was believed to have laid Isaac down. And I was thinking to myself of Abraham. The Bible says he got up there and Isaac says, 
Where's the ram? Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And before he gets ready to sacrifice his son, the angel of the Lord stops him, directs his attention, and there's a ram caught in the thicket. One preacher said every step that Abraham and Isaac made up one side of the mountain, there was that billy goat going up the other side. Why? Because down there in that valley, when God said, I will show thee upon what mountain that I want you to take him. And Abraham said, y'all stay right here. But me and the lad, we're going to go worship. We're going to worship in the valley. And we're going to worship on our way up to the mountain. Because Abraham was going to learn. He's a God in the valley. And he's a God on the mountaintop because he faithfully provided and I want to tell you church he will provide for you where you are in your battle he has the vantage point it doesn't matter hill or valley brother Danny if you'd come it doesn't matter hill or valley I want to let you know God made sure there was no stone unturned and there was no doubt left in anybody's mind. As that day, a hundred thousand footmen were destroyed, slaughtered. Their blood filled the valley. And God did so, Sister Polly, so that the Israelites would remember. Don't you ever try to paint my purpose and plan and power and put me in a box somewhere. Don't you listen to the lie of that adversary. So what is it, church member? What is it, church family? Where do you stand tonight? Where is it? What battle are you in? You'd say, Brother Jake, the enemy has come in full force. I'm dealing with things I never dreamed I'd deal with. Horse for horse and chariot for chariot. He has showed up. And not only, and it's not the battle the physical battle that takes place, but it's up here because right now you know good and well he's been trying to lie to you and say he ain't going to bring you victory there. He's only God in this place. He's only God there. That's why there's some folks, don't get me wrong, I love a good revival. I love a good camp meeting. I love youth camp. I like to go and get fed, and I like to be blessed. There's <clears throat> all these places have special meanings and seasons and specific times God uses this. But have you noticed that there are some folks, they're just not content unless they're hopping from one place to the other. Why? They're looking for the place that's going to give them a, that sense of victory, that sense of that they've overcome. Because they have gotten to believe that unless there's some kind of dynamic, earth-shaking meeting going on, then, uh, then God's not in it. God's, I mean, it, it's, it's too quiet or it's too this or that. And I'm going to tell you, the enemy will play with your mind and he will try to enforce his ploy to make you believe, Lindy. To make you believe, well, you had some victory in this one time in this one thing. But I'm going to hit you with something so hard. It'll make your head spin, and there's no way he is the God that'll bring you out of that situation. Brother Eddie, you might have came out of his clutches of addiction 
and imprisonment. But I'm going to get you with something you ain't never seen. And God might have done something for you there. He answered mama's prayers there. But I'm going to get you in a place. But you'll be able to, you'll be able to look and see. He pulled me out of that. He's a God of the mountain. And he's a God that will pull me out of the valley. He'll deliver. He'll do a work. Can we lift our hands all over this house? Would somebody right now begin to praise him that he is the God of mountain and valley? Oh, Lord, I'm thankful tonight, Lord. And it's not that you prove yourself to your enemies. You have nothing to prove to them. But, Lord, it's to us. Would you remind us? Would you remind us in our hurting places? Would you remind us, Lord, in the broken places of our lives? Lord, would you remind me when I'm in the valley? Would you remind me when I'm in the mountain? Would you remind me when I have been abased and when I am abounding? Would you remind me, Lord, on the good days and the bad and all the places in between? Lord, that I not doubt you, that I not believe the lie of the arrogant enemy. He will make demands. He will try to take. He will try to, he will try to employ his tactics. But Lord, tonight we know, we know, God, that you are faithful and able, and you're the God of all. You have the vantage point. You have the advantage. You see and you know and you understand. And Lord, I pray tonight that you would encourage. I pray that you would equip. I pray that you would speak to the hearts of your people tonight. In valleys or on mountains, in the good or in the bad, Lord, I'm looking to you. I'm looking to you, Jesus. Tonight, if you would say, Pastor, I need to be reminded. I need to be reminded in the place of my battle, the places of my pain, the times of my greatest trials. Some of you right now, you are in the heat of a fight And the enemy is doing everything he can right now to sabotage your mind, your spirit, to get you to doubt God's plans and purpose, to get you to doubt God's goodness. But tonight you'd say, Lord, would you forgive me? I recognize the tactic of the enemy. And I know, Lord, you have the advantage and you're working for our good. You're working for our good. If that's us tonight, church, can we just come and find ourselves a place in these altars? Can we come tonight and can we just seek the face of God? Can we come tonight and call upon Him and say, Lord, oh, tonight, Lord, I stand in a place. I'm in the middle. I'm in the heat of battle. I'm in a situation as to where there's some things. I, I, I have felt, I have felt the oppression of the enemy. I have felt the fear. I have I have heard his lies reverberate in my ears. I have Lord, I have I have experienced oh some of the anxieties that hell wants me to grab a hold of and believe. Oh, he's made a demand upon my family. He's made a request of the goods that you've given. He's made a request of the call on my life. He's trying to assassinate God's character. He's trying 
trying to attack God's place and presence in my life. Oh, but Lord, tonight I'm going to believe you. Tonight, Lord, I'm going to believe you. You're the God of mountain and valley. You're the God in all places, good and bad. Lord, in tears, in sorrow, in laughter, in joy. Oh, Father, I'm looking to you. Oh, Rabbala Mashiach, Lalalalidio Kohaya.